everybody and welcome to No Chook Flick Moments. I'm your co-host Rumi. And I'm your other co-host B. This is our Supernatural Watchcast. Hello. Hi. B, what are we watching, listening to, discussing this week? This week on the docket we have Supernatural Season 2, Episode 9, Croatoan. Croatoan. Oh. Uh, I... I'll be the first to admit, I'm excited about this one. It is a legendary episode, and not just for itself, but for the episode that it inspires later on in season five. <laughs> I mean, not just uh, the end in season five, but Croatoan, the Croatoan virus, it carries through. I mean, it's just one of those huge things that just took off, and it's something that the uh, writers will call back on multiple times uh, through the series, and it's just... One of those things, B. One of those things. I'm going to need you to tell me all the times that they call into it, because I can truly only think of the end. Really? Well, um, hmm. Okay. I mean, not to put you on the spot, you can tell me about it as we go through the episode, but it does feel like one of those really formative episodes, and I feel they maybe thought they were going to use it more than they did. I, I, I'm excited to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, don't, don't psych it up too much. I truly do like this episode. It's just really challenging when you have a bottle episode, Mm -hmm. um, where you can't have all of the characters die at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, or can't you? I, I, they're doing it. Okay. Now the question is whether they've done it effectively or not. I can't wait to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And while we're talking about it, I'll try to remember all the times that they talk about Croatoan. Okay. Okay. I'm just thinking about it more like, you know, it's just one of those things that they call back on in their history. Where? Like the Croatoan. Like, what is it? Is it a, is it a demon? Is it a, like, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, in what episode? I'm like, I need citations. I need timestamps because it feels like, at least as far as my scattered memory can go for the early seasons, that this happens. And then they're like, well, that sure was weird. (laughs) And then next week on Supernatural. (laughs) I do agree with you. I have some beef that we can hash through at the end of this episode where Dean's like, I feel like this is the one that got, got away. And I'm sitting here. You think? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like things happened. Okay. It's too early to get in. Remy? Yes. Yes. I'm excited. Remy, Let's go. Give us the deets. Give us the deets. The deets. So. This episode was written by John Sheevan and directed by Robert Singer. Oh, God. The oh, original. <laughs> that explains a lot of. Okay. Continue. <laughs> directed by Robert Singer. The original air date for the episode was December 7th of 2006. I never call attention to the air dates because it's just, you know, when the episode aired. But I thought this was really funny, this episode, Crow Towing. Yes. The 
the air date for this episode was December 7th. The air date of the previous episode, which was uh, cited as the mid-season finale, was November 16th. 16th. So we have uh, episode 8 on November 16th. Then this episode 9, December 7th. And the next episode that comes out is episode 10 on january 11 yeah so (laughs) so what is the truth so they have they have episode eight they wait three weeks drop episode nine wait four weeks and then and then start with 10 11 12 so on and so forth yes yes i mean it's just so weird to me that they have one episode in the middle of the holiday season it feels like especially with that um end credit bit that we saw on episode eight that Mm -hmm. it was meant to be like you said the mid-season cliffhanger and then they were like no no crotanoin will be an even better one and then just like wedge it in there (laughs) for scheduling reasons but a single episode after a three-week hiatus and then a four-week hiatus until you launch into the rest of the season i mean okay no one is doing it like them that's for sure I I salute you, all of the live watchers back then in 2006. Yeah. I hope your TV guide let you know this episode was airing. (laughs) Okay, so the synopsis for this episode reads, and buckle in. Oh, God. After Sam has a vision of Dean killing a young man who seems to be possessed by a demon, the two brothers head off to Oregon to search for answers. They come across a town infected by a deadly virus that drives a person to kill. Sam becomes infected by one of the locals and prepares for his deadly fate. But after nothing happens to him, Dean decides to come clean and reveal what John whispered to him before he died. He decides to complain. <laughs> Come clean. Okay, thank Come you. Clean. Because I was like, <laughs> he didn't die. Damn it. I guess I'll have to tell you something now. <laughs> I like yours better. <laughs> I mean, oh. Yep. 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 That's our five sentence synopsis. I mean, and really, that's what happens in the episode. We got <laughs> some, like I said, there's genre moments really leaning into did you ever watch john carpenter's the thing yes yeah i'm like this is the episode right there there's even a musical moment that sounds stolen straight from the pages of ennio morricone yes i yes but should we jump into it yes let's do that all righty So our recap this week was reminding us all about the yellow-eyed demon's plans for Sam, um, John's last words with Dean, and the tailspin that Dean has been in since his father died. Yeah, I would say most of the focus is on that tailspin. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have voiceovers of Sam. You're on edge, you're erratic, except when you're hunting, because then you're downright scary. And Dean saying, you know, truth is, I'm not really handling it well. And again, voiceovers of Sam pleading with Dean just let me help you. You're not yourself lately. So I think that that's really what we're trying, what we're 
being told to take away from the recap here. Yeah, they're really hammering that home and letting us know maybe that it is culminating. It's finally coming to a head this episode. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like they did that effectively? Because we talked a lot about said erratic behavior. We talked about how Dean has been lashing out and has been uh, really violent in some cases and lashing out about his emotions and projecting uh, on everyone and everything. I mean, when yeah. When he's feeling too much. Yeah. That mirror that he sees in everyone else that is just showing the things that he doesn't like about himself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would necessarily say this episode's effective. It has effective moments, for sure. Um, but consistency in behavior, I feel, is a challenge for the show. Um, even within the episode, there's some conflict in how they handle, you know, these proposed or allegedly infected people. Um, one, you know, we're going to execute without a second thought, basically. And then the next, we're really going to agonize over. And then the third, we're just absolutely agonizing. So there's different flavors coming up. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. Um, I personally have trouble connecting the dots sometimes, but I appreciate the fact that our characters get to be multidimensional and conflicted, um, shown by the actions that they take. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I, I agree with you 100% on the consistency that we're seeing from the characters, Dean, especially, uh, it's like the episode is trying to tell us things about his, uh, emotional state and motivations and whatnot, but I don't think that it's done really, uh, I don't think that they really sell it. I mean, I can get behind most of the emotional stuff, but let me think how I'd phrase it. Just, again... The way that they handle Beverly's infection, it's like they stop treating her as a human. But Mm -hmm. everyone else still gets to be a human. Like, it's that kind of switch that gets flipped, particularly for her and for, um, what's her name, Pam, this episode, that I'm like, oh, that feels really cold. Like, that's very startling to see our characters do those executions without a second thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually think that episode eight did better at showing us almost the culmination of Dean's angst than this episode did. Yeah. Uh, I guess if the I guess if this is the episode that we're really supposed to see Dean at his true breaking point, I don't know. I got I got more of that from Crossroad Blues yeah. than I did from Crotoan. One hundred percent. I totally agree with that. There was more emotional resonance in Crossroad Blues. This one, there are some emotional moments, but I think it almost suffers for having a bunch of guys being like, we can't be too emotional. We have to hold it back. We have to restrain it. I love that because I literally have my my notes at some point, like there's a lot of testosterone in this room right now. 
And I, I'm my God, we haven't started the episode. Guys, we'll get to it. Don't worry. But <laughs> there has been quotes that I've seen. I don't have like sources, so I can't say for a fact this one is true. But like Jared was getting really emotional when Sam had to say goodbye to Dean. And mm-hmm. he was restraining himself to not show the full extent of what he himself was feeling. Um, we have previous quotes from the companion book talking about how Kripke relies on Robert Singer to kind of butch up the um, dialogue that they have in their scripts. And Ugh. so to know that he's the director on this episode, um, there's probably a layer of that happening. And then also the composer, Jay Griska, even mentioned like he was writing these really emotional songs like he was composing for the moment where Sam and Dean are supposedly saying goodbye and then being told by Kripke to restrain it and pull it back in. So I'm like, there's all of these layers, it feels like, of just a bunch of dudes being like concealed, don't feel. And then the beat of emotion in this episode actually gets blunted because of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it would be if they're cutting it off with the knees like that. Yeah, like I definitely understand not wanting to tip over to melodrama, but I wonder how close to the knife's edge they actually were willing to get to that. You know, did they tiptoe up to the very edge or did they, you know, conceal don't feel? Did they right. shunt it back too much away from that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that definitely is something to think about. And thank goodness for the companion book that gives us that uh, extra layer to everything, what's going on behind the scenes. Because sometimes it really has, you know, sometimes a lot of the things that maybe feel inconsistent about the episode, it, they happen for a reason. It feels that way for a reason. Yeah. And you don't even know it until you see the words. Aren't right. Right, get informed about some of those things that are happening behind the scenes. But overall, still, I think this is a great episode. Let's let's talk about it. <laughs> I mean, we've come this far. Are we sure we want to? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, folks. So what's your final takeaway? <laughs> okay. This is why I barked out, oh God. Because our very first scene in this episode begins with slow motion... Dean, <laughs> as he prepares his gun for firing, he enters mm-hmm. into this room where there are three people, one of whom is pleading with him that, you know, don't kill me. It's not in me. But we see Dean fire three times and we're not clear at who his target was, but we are led to infer that it is this young man who we will later learn is Dwayne. Yes. Yeah. The other people in the room uh, are a young woman who is despairing at the situation. Oh God, we're all going to die. A uh, woman doctor who the man tied to the chair, Dwayne, is pleading with, ask the doctor, ask the doctor, it's not in me. But the doctor just can't say for sure. And then a man who is 
um, who isn't stepping in, but is saying something along the lines of, I don't know, maybe he's telling the truth. Just that layer of doubt that we are given to Dean's actions. And then later we see Sam because this has all been a dream vision that Sam has woken up from. Um, he's fallen out of the bed, he's on the floor, and he's panting heavily as Dean returns to the motel room with jerky and a six-pack of beer. Yes, yeah. Sam wakes up on the floor, and Dean realizes that something is going on when he sees the state of Sam as he re-enters the motel room. Yep. Title card. Title card. (laughs) okay actually (laughs) i just realized the slow-mo robert singer i see what okay there was so much of it this episode remy it was deranged i thought this i thought the slow-mo was a interesting choice it was deranged (laughs) it again it's not digital so they are all just filming it and it feels like we're just gonna shake the camera up and down and we're gonna (laughs) cut out like a quarter of the frames like i don't know but it i didn't like it it was not good we have someone uh jumping through a window too we have that. We have when the young woman Pam attacks Sam. Like, it happened so much, Remy. I swear to God. It was like Singer just got told <laughs> that this is a technique that they could use. And he's like, you mean will use. And they're like, no, 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 Robert. We, we can do this. He's like, we will do it for every scene. And they're like, you got to cut it down. He's like, five scenes. They're like, oh, God, if this is all we can get, so be it. I love it. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. We are in the Impala. Yes. And we are on our way to River Grove, Oregon. Yes. Sam is directing Dean with um, images that he saw during the vision. We see that he must have told everything to Dean because Dean is pressing for more information, you know? This guy that I ventilated, do you think that he was possessed? Do you think I thought he was possessed? Does it have to do with the yellow-eyed demon? If it was a vision, it has to do with him. And um, Dean's convinced that he must have a good reason for shooting this guy. But Sam seems more doubtful. um, And that causes some tension between them, where they bicker and then finally kind of neutrally settle on, well, we'll just see what's up once they get there. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you said, and like we saw in Sam's vision, there was the man that was pleading for his life and it was a very confusing. And as Sam is saying here, I don't know why you killed him, Dean. You thought that there was something inside him. And then Dean is saying what, like a demon. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Dean, we don't know. Um, but Dean says, uh, well, I must have had a good reason. I'm not just going to waste some innocent guy. And Sam, freaking freaking Sam, he's sitting in the passenger seat, just eyebrows up like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, Jan. And Dean says, 
what is that supposed to mean? And Sam's like, oh, no. No. Oh, what? What? What do you, what do you mean? Uh, nothing. Don't worry about uh, it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And dude's like, well, now and I'm fucking worrying about it. <laughs> exactly. There's a bit Dean, of judgment. Right, right. Definitely judgment. And Dean's like, I wouldn't do that. And Sam says, I, I, I never said you would, but your face tells a different story yes. and Dean knows it. Yes, 100%. Dean's picking up on that. Right, right, right. And from the recap, just coming fresh off of this recap, uh, we know that if Sam is questioning um, Dean's motivations here, it's because... In Sam's eyes, Dean has been a little quick to pull the trigger recently. Yes. yes. Sam seems to sense that there is something going on with Dean and it is making him erratic. And so, again, that recap is leading us to infer that Sam is suspicious that Dean's upcoming motivations are not going to be, you know, in the clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah. They arrive by Crater Lake and they see a bunch of people milling around this small town of around a thousand people. Um, Sam recognizes a man from his vision. And so he and Dean approach as, uh, what are they, U.S. Marshals? And ask this man named Sarge, or Mark, if you will, about the kid from Sam's vision. Yeah, they introduce themselves as Billy Gibsons and Frank Beard, U.S. Marshals. Yeah. Yeah. Who are also the lead guitarist and drum... Drumist? Oh my god, what's Drummer. (laughs) What? Drummer! (laughs) That's not... I'm like, that's not a word. Drumist? (laughs) Guitarist and drummer for ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they don't even change the first names. They just go full out. I mean, who else out there will know it besides the audience? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They introduce themselves to this master sergeant, a.k.a. Sarge, which seems more a nickname given by Dean than uh, what he's well known as across the town which is just mark yeah like you said his name yeah uh but dean refers to him as sarge through the episode anyways they are asking after the man in sam's vision mid-20s brown hair has a scar on his forehead and Sarge recognizes this description. He gets a little suspicious, a little closed off. Like, what did, what did he do? Oh, nothing, nothing, sir. He's not in any trouble. We just need to ask him some questions. And Mark gives up that. That sounds a lot, a lot like Dwayne Tanner, but he's a good kid. Keeps his nose clean. You sure he's not in trouble? Yeah. They assure him that, no, they're just, you know, checking up, making sure that he's okay or what have you. Um, But they have his address now, so Sam and Dean leave. Mm Mm-hmm. 
As they are walking down the street, Sam notices on a telephone pole that the word Croatoan has been carved into it. Sam takes the opportunity to do a lore drop about the lost colony and on Roanoke Island. And he we get a little moment where he's basically admonishing Dean for paying more attention to Schoolhouse Rock than his history class at actual school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you pay any attention in history class? I'm like, Dean was mentioning historical information. Like, you're being very judgy, Sam, about the source of it. <laughs> well, Roanoke, which goes over Dean's head at first, but he, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. The Lost Colony founded around America's uh 1500s or i guess it wasn't america oh my gosh what was america called before it was america was it always america do not ask me i feel like i should know I'm this gonna tell no you, i'm asking i'm gonna tell you no i'm asking you the canadian yes yes well it obviously wasn't the united states of america before was it the, the victorian colony or like the elizabethan colony like who was the king or queen of britain right now <laughs> i can't believe i never thought about this what was america called <laughs> really as england colonies before the Declaration of Independence as the United States of America. So you're asking what was its um, junior name? Like, okay, we've taken the land from the First Nations and then we've given it a name and then we said, fuck that name. We gave it a new one and we called it the States. Maybe we didn't give it a name. It was just America. How would you not have a name for the thing that you were stealing from people? (laughs) Well, it may have had, it may have just been, it may have just been America. Like, it wasn't new, it wasn't new America. There was no, hey, no. Siri, what was the United <laughs> States called while it was a colony? And, you know, it, a lot probably changed between the 1500s where Roanoke was founded, one of the first colonies of the Americas, and 1773 when the Declaration of Independence was... Okay, uh, I know you're just dropping historical information to show that you do know things. I know some things, okay, but uh, apparently Dean wasn't the only one who wasn't paying attention in history class. <laughs> Anyways, not important. Roanoke, Lost Colony. The only thing left behind was a the, the word Croatoan carved into a tree, but for, as the legend goes, the entire colony just was abandoned, disappeared overnight. Yes, which, I mean, that's an exaggeration. You guys left yes. for three years. Anything could have happened in those three years. It wasn't overnight. <laughs> and Remy, this time period is called pre-colonial North America. What comes afterwards is the 13 colonies. Was it just called the 13 colonies? Yes. And then they were like, Whoa. we hate that. We're going to create the United States and we're going to create Quebec and we're going to create New Brunswick. Whoa. Yes. Now you know. Yeah. Displacing the Native American population. 
included people subject to a system of slavery, which was legal in all of the colonies prior to the American Revolutionary War. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you, Siri. Well, thank you, Faceless One, for taking us there. Mm-hmm. Okay. hmm Well, so this is concerning. Yeah. The way that Croatoan, they don't know because it's left behind with no one to tell the story, but is this where they were going or is this like the fate that befell them is the way that this kind of early North America ghost story or colony, mm-hmm. pre-colony ghost story goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... They are thinking, okay, if a colony could get wiped out overnight, what could do that? Um, There was the visions that Sam was having. So maybe the yellow-eyed demon is planning something for this town. And they decide that they should call for backup right away. So Dean goes to try Bobby or Ellen's phone number, but he's getting no service on his cell phone. And indeed, this ancient relic called a payphone on the street is also um, dead on the line. Yeah, yeah. The implications of this, to see the word Croatoan carved into this uh, telephone post, are big. Bigger than even Sam and Dean. So they both agree that they could and should call in help. And unfortunately, they cannot. Not allowed. Nope. And Dean takes us as a portent right away. He says, you know, if I was going to massacre a town, one of the first things I would be to would be doing is cut off all communication with the outside world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with that hanging above their head, they do drive to the Tanner's house. Um, They're looking for Dwayne, but they end up speaking to his brother, Jake, and their dad. It turns out Dwayne is out fishing. But as they're talking, Sam and Dean catch the dad and the brother in kind of inconsistent details as their story progresses. I like this. It's something hard to describe if you're not watching it, but in a, I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting it because I know it's weird or if they did a good job conveying that it's weird. Uh, I'm like this kid's face. Uh The way his eyebrows were always asymmetrical. I'm like, something fucky afoot right here. (laughs) Well, it's funny. Okay, so we have a a, a conversation on uh, the stoop with the brother and the father. And they're very pleasant. Oh, no, you're looking for Dwayne? Oh, I hope everything's okay. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my mom? No, she's not in right now. She's just out getting groceries. Uh. Well, they, I don't know, Sam and Dean walk away and Dean says, that was weird, right? That was very Stepford. Mm -hmm. And it was. The way that, either the way it was written or the way it was acted, um, I got a, that creepy, weird, like, not normal vibe from it, which I dig. Yeah, yeah. Like, it set off the spider 
senses of them uh-huh. and looped the audience in as well. Uh-huh. And even without that little, like, oh, ha, 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 did I say my mom was in? Oh, no, she's out getting groceries. Even without that, I just think that the way that the actors are playing it or the way that the dialogue is written, there's just that little subtle, undefinable thing that made it weird. Yeah. Made it a little off-putting. Yeah. The way that, the way that these two were talking. Sam and Dean pick up on it and decide to do a little snooping. Yes. So they loop around the building, kind of sneaking beneath the windows. And when they peer inside, they see the mother bound to a chair. The dad is just kind of standing there. um, But the son has his bare arm exposed. He's cut it with a kitchen knife. And he's holding the bleeding wound over a matching wound on the mother's shoulder. Yes. This is not great. And Sam and Dean agree. They break into the house. The dad kind of just goes apeshit, runs at them. So they shoot him without hesitation. Again, I'm like, yikes. Um, And then we get this insane slow-mo like i said the shots and then (laughs) the son jake getting away by leaping through a glass window and then scampering away into the woods right right where dean takes down mr tanner as he comes charging at them with the kitchen knife and Sam goes to cover the window after Jake leaps out of it and has a clear shot as Jake is running away into the tree line, but doesn't take it. And Dean's going to have something to say about that later. Yep. But you didn't think that Dean should have shot down the guy charging at them with a kitchen knife? I'm saying for an episode that is trying to convey the complexities and the gray area in their decision making, they did not capitalize on the instances in a consistent way. I think that it was a little, um, I don't know, it took me aback a little bit because this is the first time that we see Sam or Dean kill something that is very you know not not id'd as a monster yet yeah it's not it's not a vamp bearing its fangs it's not a black eyed demon it's just a guy yeah and like if it is people crimes they usually leave it to the police they don't get involved unless they absolutely have to well i'm trying to think now to the vendors did yeah, did they shoot? Did they kill any of the benders? No. No. Officer the Kathleen, the officer, mm-hmm. is the only one who actually killed, uh, I think, one of the brothers and, and the father. Anyways, some of the bender characters. Yeah, and, like, she had a vengeance arc behind her mm-hmm. or, like, retribution for her brother's death to mm-hmm. justify you know, the killing. Whereas what we have right now, if we take a step back, we have Sam and Dean get to a town that Sam thinks he saw in a vision. 
I say thanks. We know he knows, but like, we don't have it 100%. It's just on Sam's word. Sam sees a word on a telephone pole. It could just be nothing. Then they go to this family's house. They see a woman in danger inside. And then it's like, we're going to kill half her family if we can. I, 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 he charges at them with a knife. I know, but there is a difference between I'm going to shoot you three times in the chest and I'm going to pop you in the knee to stop you. I agree. I agree. And I don't know. Like I said, yes. most of the episodes before now, Sam and Dean are not killing people. You know, the the bad people, like in Faith or what have you, are getting what's quote unquote due to them through supernatural means. And other mm-hmm. than that, we have had the distinction that even killing a person who is possessed by a demon is like a stain on your soul or it is something that they struggle and suffer with. So that's why I'm like, they've just shown up at this town. And again, if we look at just the things that they actually know, rather than the things that they suspect, they rolled up to this house and then they killed a guy. (laughs) Yes. Five minutes from now, we have Dean saying, you should have killed the kid. Why didn't you shoot the guy that... Jake, the son, that leapt off the window and then ran to the tree line. And Sam says, I he's he's just a kid. I hesitated. So so shoot me. Um or so so sue me. No, so shoot okay. me. <laughs> <laughs> but that seemed like overly harsh to me dean you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be saying things like this we don't know what's going on and so that same logic applies to mr tanner here at the house we don't know what's going on so if if i look to dean as who i think dean is which is a professional he's not acting that way by just popping the guy three times in the chest in the chest yeah Especially when later in this episode we see them really struggling with the question of, is this person infected? Do I know that they should be killed? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. Again, the story did it. We get retroactively justified for doing it. But in the moment or like leading up to it without that knowledge, it feels very strong and very abrupt. To just see Dean shoot what seems to be a human man that he was literally just talking to 30 seconds earlier. I agree. Yeah. So Sam and Dean help Mrs. Tanner, aka Beverly, to the medical clinic in town to get treated for her wound on her shoulder. Um, The woman, she's a nurse or an attending or something named Pam... Um, comes to see them and she calls in a Dr. Lee as well. Um, Sam (laughs) pats Beverly like a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Like if that's how you comfort people. They are there with this massive just thump thump. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then Dean comes in carrying Mr. Tanner's body over his shoulders. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And Dr. Lee is just, what? Is that a body? Who the hell are you? And what the hell happened? Yeah. And um, Sam had explained that Mrs. Tanner got attacked. And then here comes Dean carrying Mr. Tanner, uh, fireman's carry, over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Lee says, did he get attacked too? And Dean also throwaway casually says oh no he's the one who did the attacking and then got himself shot in the process yes who am i u.s marshal i get my badge but believe me i have authority to shoot people yes yes just take my word for it don't worry about it yeah we have no idea why they flipped a switch and attacked But Beverly recounts her story and describes it like her son and husband had the devil in them. Sam and Dean wonder if it's a mass possession taking place in this town, but there's still no signs of demons. So again, I'm like, (laughs) no evidence, you say. You didn't even want to drop a Christo in the presence of these people. Yeah, uh, it's... I think it's Sam. It was probably Sam that started to cast doubt on some things, some plausible deniability. I don't know. No demon smoke, no black Mm -hmm. eyes, no, none of the usual signs of demons. So what is up? And Dean, I don't know. What does Dean say that, that kind of brings us into that, Slap on the wrist for Sam. Well, we would have one less to deal with if he had shot that kid. Basically, yeah. He starts chiding Sam for failing to shoot Jake, but Sam defends himself and says, you know, it was a kid. I hesitated. And this is where, like you said, Dean says, it's not a he. It was an it. Ah, I remember now. They were saying, well, it wasn't like a demon but dean says whatever it is it turned him into or turned them into a monster mm-hmm. and that word monster got me like okay yeah. because one of because then of course 30 seconds later dean says it's not a he sam it's an it it's a monster. That's what we do. We kill monsters. <laughs> monsters. And the monsters. We kill them. <laughs> and whatever this is, they have no idea what it is, but whatever it is, it turned him into a monster. So I had to put it down, Sammy. Yeah. That's the job, Sammy. Yeah. It's cut and dry, Sammy. So, Sam says that he... He hesitated because it was just a kid. He didn't shoot the guy. And Dean says that, well, he should have. Yeah. Not, this is not the time for a bleeding heart, Sam. Yeah. Um, Dr. Lee arrives. She comes up looking pissed. She doesn't know what is going on, but something strange is happening. And we, again, run through the fact that 
she's got to get a hold of the sheriff, the coroner, what have you, but the lines are down. So Dean offers to drive the 40 miles to the next town over and get some help. Um, Sam will stay to keep them safe, but the lingering question is, from what? Yeah, poor Dr. Lee. Yeah. Oh, my partner here is going to stay and keep you safe. Keep us safe from what? What is going on? And I, again, it's one of the it's one of the things that I really enjoy about the episode. So I'm going to bring it up when it comes up. Mm-hmm. We are doing a good job with the Croatoan and then the Stepford Wives moment, and now here with uh, the Doctor. Keep us safe from what? Like. This feels big. It feels yes. creepy. And it feels... Um, it's There's this ominous air that, that I think they did a good job with for this episode. Yeah. There's this feeling of forebodance. Especially, mm-hmm. again, when the lines go down, you know some shit's gonna happen. It's very genre. Uh, it's... It's a bottle episode. It's psychological horror. It's uh, very the thing. Yes. One part the thing, one part zombie apocalypse. It's that outbreak moment that is uh, overdone, but it... It slaps for a reason. It slaps. Honestly. Okay. One, this is 2006. This is pre The Walking Dead. (laughs) Two, I love this genre. I laugh it up and I don't even care if it's overdone. If it's, it, 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 it hits this little button in me and I'm like, yes, yes. Give me more. I love it. Yeah. I'm I'm with you there. I do really like zombie apocalypses. I really like that bottle episode feeling or like John Carpenter's The Thing again. Mm-hmm. Adore that mm-hmm. alien, you know, Ridley Scott. All of those types of movies and stories are really fascinating and really compelling. The the distrust that good people doing bad things because you had to. Yeah. Yeah. Being put in these situations where the normal morality or the normal ethics are yes. being challenged and even being discarded by the necessity of the moment. Yes. Yes. And that feeling like whatever's going on outside your doors is closing in on you and the 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 ramping fear that comes with it and that tension it's like you know something's gonna happen but where's it gonna happen yeah. when is mrs T- tanner gonna turn you know yeah it has like a clue vibe of you know who's the killer who's the one that we're trying to deduce and uncover before they get us mm-hmm 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 well, Dean's going to go to the next town over, Sidewinder. Yeah. We we have an inkling of how that's going to turn out. Yeah. And then Sam's going to stay at the clinic. Yeah. 
And Sidewinder is a reference to The Shining. Um, it's a location that the Outlook Hotel, that's mm-hmm. kind of the next town over from it. So again, we're doing the isolated horror trope. And while Dean is driving the route there, he comes upon a vehicle that um, has been shot up and it is very bloody. Um, and he pulls over to inspect it with his sawed-off shotgun in hand. And it just does not look like it was a pleasant end for the family. Because, again, there's a child's safety seat in the back seat. Um, whatever they went through, it was not a good ending for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bullet holes in the windshield and a bloodied knife abandoned at one of the car doors on the road. It's one of those like visuals that you, you know, you know, you know what it, you know. Yeah. And again, the audio, the music that is playing in this moment is pulling um, cues from John Carpenter's The Thing. And, you know, paying homage to Ennio Morricone's soundtrack there. I almost want to watch it again just for the soundtrack because I definitely got that bracketing tension vibe mm-hmm. from the score. But I would love to do a compare and contrast to, like, they lean so heavily on the genre moments here in this episode but they do it intentionally so i'm like okay with it yeah if that makes any sense they are executing the tropes in a way that is satisfying uh-huh yeah as opposed to unsatisfying which makes them into cliches let's go with that <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back at the clinic, Sam is kind of wandering around Mr. Tanner's body, and Dr. Lee is peering into a microscope, microscope, a microscope, microscope and noticing that he must have been fighting off a viral infection, but she's not sure what kind. And not only that, but the blood also has a residue in it. And if she didn't know any better, it would she'd call it sulfur. And Sam really clues in on that. Yeah, yeah. Raised white blood cell count and a residue on the red blood cells that we get a charming little CGI animation of <laughs> what... Dr. Lee is viewing under this microscope. Uh, and yeah, sulfur. Mm. Okay, well, we know what that means. Yep. And again, I'm like, no one said Christo. No one's salting the doors. No one's doing anything to defend themselves. But we're following suspicions. I, you know, now that you pointed out, the conclusion that they reach, even though they don't really know, is that this is some sort of demonic virus. And we'll talk about it a little bit later mm-hmm. once Sam, once Dean comes back and Sam can share with Dean uh, what Dr. Lee found out from the Tanner's blood. But if they're 
coining this as some sort of demonic virus, then there are things that they could try. Mm -hmm. Like, there, there are things that the brothers know that, um, that go beyond, let's build some bombs. Yeah. Let's peer out the windows and make sure you have a shotgun handy. Uh, And they don't do that. But I think that it was intentional because we're not in a problem-solving genre here. We're in a, you're fucked and you're in a hopeless situation. And the only thing that you can do is try to survive. But you have no... The fact that they, on the surface, don't have any tools available to them and it seems like a hopeless situation it lends well to the genre and the tension that they're trying to build here so it was probably intentional but then are you leaving some some holes in the narrative yeah because like the the challenge for me is if you're not pulling from the tools that our characters know then you are writing an episode of television that is not as tightly intertwined with the show is actually airing on like if you are cleaving too closely to the tropes that you are pulling from um you are separating yourself from the show that actually is like going back to a couple episodes ago the usual suspects Mm -hmm. they pulled from another genre they pulled from you know cop talk they had a lot of elements that would connect to that genre but ultimately they were like what would it be like to have that in a episode of supernatural whereas mm-hmm. this that's going on here i'm like it would be better connected or at least feel more connected to the mythos of the show if they had little things like we're going to try the cristo we're going to try the salt lines and what have you and the fact that they don't makes me wonder how quickly though story being developed this episode would fall apart if our characters knew to do those things because if they knew you know to put a salt line across the door then Dwayne wouldn't be able to get in if they knew to say Christo then Pam would get revealed right away so we're making our characters dumber to fit what the genre what the tropes of the episode is pulling from but Mm -hmm. in doing so we are separating our characters from their knowledge i would have liked to have seen them draw on some of their knowledge there like sprinkle them with holy water try a salt line i would have liked to see it not work if you really want to put your characters in uncharted waters then have them uh try what they know and then have it not be effective and then like the doctor here how how am i supposed to cure it i don't even know what it is yeah Uh, have the boys be just as helpless to it as the normies 
I think the trick there is they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they have Sam and Dean using their knowledge and the characters are affected by it, then the story structure falls apart. If Sam and Dean use their knowledge and the characters are not affected, then, you know, the story remains intact, but now you've raised a greater question of why don't the demons just do this all the time? You know, mm-hmm. if if it removes all weaknesses, if they're not affected by holy water, if they're not affected by salt lines, then the question becomes, why don't our villains just commit to this rather than remove all traces of the virus at the end of the episode? So they're mm-hmm. kind of in a damned if they do, damned if they don't um, acknowledge the lore that they've built around demons right now. And so the safest bet for the episode is to just not acknowledge it. But in doing so, like I said, it feels not like a supernatural episode 100%. I I get that. I do. I like the parallel that you're drawing to the usual suspects where the episode has the scenes that are Ballard's point of view and in the scenes that are Ballard's point of view, the detective uh, and the usual suspects, it's kind of an outsider perspective episode. Mm -hmm. And we start in this very cop shop genre of Benner's point of view and I'm sorry, Ballard's point of view and then as the episode goes on, we become, yeah, as Ballard gets more informed, then we start seeing Ballard as not a uh, procedural cop show protagonist, yeah. but as a supernatural hunter protagonist, uh, someone who's in the know and is now in the supernatural genre when at the beginning yes. of the episode it, that wasn't what that wasn't what the point of view was at all yeah it was a completely different genre that's the challenge in these episodes is we start in one genre and we transition to another and our protagonists have to adapt or die basically mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we follow detective ballard in her struggle to accept the supernatural and it becomes a satisfying story because it's from her point of view. Her stakes are the ones that we're following as opposed to Sam and Dean. Um, and then contrast to this episode. So Sam and Dean are our protagonists. They are thrown into the new genre. And one of the things about... Like, I'm, I'm pulling from movies. I'm not necessarily pulling from Walking Dead. So again, I'm thinking of Alien, 1979. I'm thinking of John Carpenter, The Thing from 1984 and one of the defining things in there is that you can't trust anyone we have a protagonist that we follow but we we know that it's going to end up basically in a last man standing you know that these stories are inherently like a survival of the fittest game that they are going through So 
the challenge of Sam and Dean being in one of these is we have two protagonists that we're following. And we have an episode next week. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the fit to that is difficult. We're not going to 100% flip to the genre. Like if we brought the genre in in all of its shining glory, Sam would be dead at the end of the episode. Or Dean would pay for his hubris, pay for the black and white thinking that he was showing and executing people and he would end up infected himself and die. That's what the genre calls for in these types of scenarios. But the episode itself is trying to give us a structure that is about, you know, who are the people worth saving? Who are the people that you don't have to think about killing? Because the struggle is Dean looking at his brother and saying, are you a monster or are you my brother and someone worth saving? And trying to put those two things together, it's not 100% fit. One's a rectangle, one's a square. The square might sit inside the rectangle, but it does not fill up all the space. It does not hit all of the beats. It doesn't push down all of the buttons. And so that's where, for me, I'm like, the episode's not 100% there. It's got a lot of things I like, but I like it as not an episode of Supernatural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that that is... I think that what you said is right about this episode versus some of the other like genre breaking episodes that we've seen, even with the benders, um, which is probably the closest parallel we can Mm -hmm. draw. It is now the, it's, it's now our protagonists of Sam and Dean that are thrown into the uncharted waters so basically it could have gone one of two ways and it would have been better for it either way. We could have kept more in character with our protagonists by not just playing into the genre and the black and white of who deserves to live and who yeah. deserves to die. We don't see them. Um, it's kept a little too basic, the motivations and the um, the way that the characters are playing into the narrative uh, it, it 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 reads as out of character or i don't know if i should say out of character um it's tough to see our characters like this yeah not if you had had more time at the end of the day you're working with a 45 minute yes. episode not a movie correct so if you had had more time to have the uh, characters grow into the desperation that the genre and the situation demands, then it could have worked better. Yes. Yeah. If you had gone more with the, this is an episode of Supernatural uh, path, then we could have seen Sam and Dean trying to solve this like a case. And I think that there are things that you could have done with that. And this goes more towards the, okay, this is a demon virus. What do we do about it? What can we do about it? Oh, that's not working. Then, uh oh, yeah. what do we do now? Um, but like you're saying, exactly what you're saying, it fell in the middle of 
a supernatural episode and true the thing uh horror genre television and not i i hesitate to even say television because this feels like one of those episodes where they're trying to make a mini movie yes and they're effective in some ways but not in others because you can't you just can't do it yeah and that's just it like we can sit here or i can sit here and be like i wish that they had brought in the demon mythology more but (laughs) they only have so many minutes so i totally understand why they cut it out it's just again the wonderful gap that fan fiction i would sit here and be like well what if they did it this way what if they did it that way so i i don't fault them for it 100 percent. it's just a little something that reminds me that i am not watching the thing you know i'm i'm watching supernatural there Mm -hmm. isn't the ending that normally comes the catharsis that comes with this type of scenario because as mentioned we have to see sam and dean next week i okay i'll stop i'll stop i promise but i don't i like the way they ended the episode i don't there are things that I think they fall short of when it comes to the genre, but I don't put the fact that there wasn't the last man standing um, too high on the list because yeah. we had that moment where, you know, Sam thinks that he's going to die and then we um, have to see dean and sam confronting that reality even though it turns out not to really happen in the end that 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 right there that's why i struggle so hard with the ending yeah i think that i'm more forgiving to that than i am with uh not feeling like i saw the full picture of oh we're rolling into this town and some shit's about to go down to we have abandoned all morals and we're just gonna start um killing people because the situation is that desperate because we can't trust anybody and and this is what it means I, those are the themes of the genre, but I feel like I didn't get to connect it to my characters as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think as a macro view of the episode, very good. Like, it's a fun episode of television. It's only when you start getting into the details where you're like, oh, this was a little bit of a house of cards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know, you, you set up the house of cards. It's just, it's not load bearing. I can't necessarily put the weight that I appreciate from some of the other episodes onto it. I really like, like, we keep on going back to something wicked because there's so much meat on that bone. Whereas this one, I'm like, as soon as I start picking at it, it turns out that it's going to be a little bit fragile. Sorry, what? Something wicked? From season one, the Striga episode. I thought so. Um, 
you you just said I keep coming back to something something wicked, but B, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that you mentioned that this episode. This episode, yes, but okay. an astute <laughs> listener will know that statistically speaking, it comes up like every third episode. <laughs> Who am I, B? I don't remember what happened. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> no, but okay, so. You, you 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 caught me off guard a little bit there because Sorry. you said again like something wicked and I'm like, like there, there are some like, episodes I guess is what I'm trying to say uh-huh, some episodes uh-huh. that the story is not about the plot or about how we made the trope fit they they come up with something and it's just clean or streamlined and it can support a lot of heavy ideas that come with it. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm, find mm-hmm. that this one, it's not necessarily streamlined and it's not necessarily load-bearing. And that's what leaves me wanting is I want mm-hmm. it to be two hours long. I want it to be a part one and a part two and give me all of the beats and bring me somewhere new and exciting to tell me how these characters make it out alive. Oh, if it was a part one and a part two, I would love yeah. it. I would just be in love with it. Yeah, that's just it. That's that's where I'm at. I'm like, I enjoy it. I want more and I want it to be that much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all to say, like, I love this episode. It's going to be my final takeaway, <laughs> unpopular opinion. Are we that... not finishing the episode? We're just going to do our final takeaways now. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, Shut okay, up. continue. It's... <laughs> it's going to be my final takeaway that um, this episode is, I consider it actually a better episode than um, one other that shall be named later, but not right now. Tell me and cut it. <laughs> the end. <gasps> Chromatone is a better episode of TV than the end is. No. It's not a better it's not a better episode of Supernatural than the end is. Throwing my book <laughs> against a wall. Remy, we're gonna be here all night, I have a feeling. <laughs> Shit. No, 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 no. <laughs> That, okay, that's coming later at the end of the episode when we talk about takeaways, okay? Okay, okay. But, uh, one last thing and then we can move on. Uh, you just brought up something that was like a aha moment for me, which is that it is very much a theme of early Supernatural that we pick what we want to do with an episode Mm -hmm. and then run with it. This is going to be the greatest game episode. This is going to be the faith healers episode. This is going to be the death omens episode. Mm -hmm. We, we do that. And now this is going to be the thing episode. Mm -hmm. We, 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 we do that with these early episodes, episodes of supernatural. And then we see, how the writers and the actors um, take this microcosm of a genre and spin it into the supernatural world. We do it very effectively some places. We fall flat in others, like the Hookman episode. <laughs> but <laughs> Not to call anyone out. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
But this is the one that I th- I think, like, I love this episode because I love the genre. But like you said, if you if you look at it too closely, if you start to start to tease it apart, then yeah, there's gaps and it and it's that house of cards. It might fall apart, but uh, I can still watch this episode and get like a ton of entertainment out of it because if you think about it like fan fiction, this is the the Walking Dead episode. Yeah. We get to see our characters thrust into this situation that is familiar to us as a audience. And we are excited to see how our characters react to it. Yeah. I wanted more from it. Um, but I love the genre enough that I'm willing to just roll with it. Yeah. And I think that that's the knife's edge. Like, I think we're both sitting on the knife's edge and you're falling on the side that I love this episode because I love the genre. And I'm falling on the side of I love this genre, so I don't quite love this episode. Mm-mm. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's right, like I said, it's such a fine line. If there was just some small things that were adjusted in here, I would be like, hell fucking yeah, this slaps. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, my god Remy we're like 10 minutes into this episode but (laughs) by time we get to the end of this episode I was so dissatisfied with the ending I had I was so into it in the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes it 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 got just weaker and weaker as we went on it was too rushed is the thing give me two hours do it right exactly yeah and we'll talk about it okay yeah okay so that was a tangent. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dean goes away. Yes. Sam stays put. Yes. And Dean saw the blood-riddled vehicle, and now he has driven up to this barricade. There's half a dozen men and their vehicles blocking this bridge. Um, Dean's sort of idling, kind of figuring out what he should do next, considering all these men have weapons. Um, and all of a sudden he gets a thump on the roof of the Impala, and it is a man that is up close and personal, and basically saying that the road is closed due to quarantine per the county sheriff. The sheriff called, said to do this. Dean's like, that's bullshit right there. Plus the fact that Jake Tanner is one of the faces in this crowd. Everything about this smells like bullshit. And dangerous mm-hmm. bullshit at that. Mm-hmm. Because the man at the car, he's very pleasant. Very reasonable. Uh, yeah, For your own safety, we're quarantined right now, per the sheriff's orders. Uh, why don't you step out of the car and we'll talk about it. Oh, I just, I would just love if you would step out of the car, sir. Oh, yeah. Dean hears that. He's like, all right, this is my cue to get the fuck out of here. And so he immediately reverses instead of getting out of the car. He pulls a rapid K turn. Um, The crowd is firing on him, but he manages to escape. And um, we just see him peeling out of there. Now, back at the clinic, Mrs. Tanner um, receives the news that 
her family was basically diseased and that that was why they attacked her. Um, Dr. Lee wants to take a sample of her blood as well, except Mrs. Tanner, Beverly, attacks at this moment. She grapples with Dr. Lee. She knocks Sam into this cabinet, but Sam flies back at her and knocks her out. Um, and she's out cold on the floor. A disease, Dr. Lee? Oh, gosh, you don't think that I have it too, do you? <laughs> it's like, well, and this is coming. <laughs> well, I love it because for every scene that we've had uh, at the clinic so far, we know that Mrs. Tanner is a ticking time bomb. And we are just waiting for it to break bad. Yes. And it does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Again, the genre demands the Trojan horse of the virus entering in here, and Mrs. Tanner is the one responsible for that. But it mm -hmm. seems like she gets knocked out before she's able to pass on the, the infection, insofar as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's driving back, Dean is stopped by Mark in the middle of the street. He jumps out with a gun and orders Dean out of the car. Dean complies, but he raises his own handgun in retaliation, and they both yell about whether one or the other is infected or if they're lying, and neither is particularly pleasant or cordial, but they agree to a truce with their guns still out. Um, basically, Sarge says that whatever's happening is happening to everyone, and Dean says that they have people back in town and there's no way to leave. So they might as well go together back to the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Mark says that, well, he demands to know what's going on because the people around town are going crazy. He says that his neighbor, Mr. Rogers, came at him with a hatchet, and it's not just him, it's everyone. And of course, Dean can't pass up the quip, you've, you've got a neighbor named Mr. Rogers. Yes. <laughs> and Mark is like, well, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. So the whole town's gone crazy. And, uh, like you said, neither Dean nor Mark is completely willing to trust the other, but there's enough human decency going around still that, uh, they will call a temporary truce and try to make it back to the clinic together. Um, and it's pretty funny because we see the way that... Dean is driving with his right hand, but his gun is held in his left hand and he's got it kind of shoved under his arm. And Mark's sitting as far away as he can <laughs> in the passenger seat with his gun raised as well. And Dean's just like, oh God, this is going to be such a relaxing drive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, look at Dean here now that's willing to let like he's willing to let a guy that he's 80 percent sure isn't crazy but maybe is crazy into his car who has a gun trained on him 
inches away from the man. Mm -hmm. And they're, yeah, sure, Dean's got his own gun trained on the guy. But if Mark's really the crazy man, then uh, Dean's the one that's doing him the favor here by bringing him to the clinic. Yeah. And he's willing to do that, put put himself at risk to do that. And it does just highlight the inconsistencies of characterization that we see where you, again, wish that we had had more time to see the de-evolution happen, Mm -hmm. but we don't. So it seems abrupt. Yeah. We are told right away, you know, who to trust, who to not trust, or how far to trust them. Mm -hmm. At the clinic... Pam is worrying that they are all already infected, and she's anxious despite Dr. Lee trying to calm her. She wants to leave to find her boyfriend, but Sam follows and assures her that help is coming and that she's safer here. And Dean arrives with Sarge, and Sam lets them inside. Sam and Dean talk, and they exchange the information they've collected. They decide that the infection is seemingly demonic and it spreads via blood. And Sam mentions that John's journal um, had referenced Roanoke and that John had a theory that the Croatoan is a name for the demon of plague and pestilence. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't like this mention of John's journal. I'm like, oh, was... so so does John have a theory about everything? Does he know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried? Does he know who <laughs> D.B. Cooper is? Tell me more. Like, what did he all just write in this journal of his? Yeah, yeah. Basically, Sam says that he's been combing John's journal and found a mention of Croatoan and Roanoke. And this is John's theory with no evidence behind it or anything. I mean, it just seemed like they, I don't know, it just seemed that they wanted to mention John for whatever reason or just use John as, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the season finale. (laughs) Series finale, excuse me. Reminds me of the series finale. Oh, there's a vampire in a mime mask, you say? Mm -hmm. Well, we better go check that out. Happens to be there's a page in John's journal that talks about vampires and mind masks. And we just ignored it for the 15 years the show was on. <laughs> and it doesn't serve any purpose to, like, helping the brothers. I don't know. It's just like they're inventing lore that doesn't exist, I guess. I mean, what they're trying to do, I think, is cement the fact that this is a disease and it's a demonic disease. God, yeah, yeah. Like, that That but, to me is what this is doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's kind of a an invented yeah. fact that they've you know, brought in the name of the demon of plague and pestilence like okay john could have picked any fucking word he'd be like oh covid is the name of the dude and it's like Mm -hmm. cute story but where's your citations (laughs) exactly exactly 
Well, I also, there was one thing that I did like about mm-hmm. this where when Dean first enters back into the clinic, uh, he asks Sam, okay, what did we find out? And Sam says, the doc thinks it's a virus. And Dean says, okay, great. Now, what do you think it is? Mm-hmm. And it's just calling attention to the fact that these are people who don't really know what's going on but now dean is running everything that's happening uh through the supernatural translator that he can trust sam to be like okay now the doctor thinks it's one thing but what do you think it really is yeah and in this case sam agrees he says no i think she's right i think it's some sort of actual virus a demonic virus and if it is a virus then who knows how far it can spread yeah that that's the big question and and not only why here why now but if we have something like a virus that these people these violent people that are infected with it are actively seeking out the uninfected to spread it then the town is one thing but how far could it spread we need to warn others we need to we need to get out of here Mm -hmm. to spread the word we need to get to bobby we need to get to ellen in the roadhouse and we need to make sure that we're prepared for (laughs) What is potentially the apocalypse to come, which I wish that they had given more weight to. Yes. Yes. The, at minimum, pandemic that is coming from this. Yes. Like, with hindsight, I mean, we're not going to spend much time talking about Miss Corona and the fun she's been having all around the world. But to go through a pandemic and then watch this episode... Is like, wow, now we have a situation where the virus is basically sentient. Mm-hmm. And are you telling me that they were satisfied after just, you know, running an experiment on a town? We have Sam and Dean acknowledging that they are at the ground zero. And they're worried about the wider implications of this, but... Um, they're not giving it much time. Yeah. They're, again, there's just not time. Yeah, there's just not time. I mean, that's it is what it is. Yep. It's not what the episode is about. Mm-hmm. At this point, Mark calls them over and says that they can't wait any longer to deal with Mrs. Tanner. Um, Beverly's just going to get stronger the longer that they wait, and she's going to be harder to stop. This is what he saw with his neighbors. It's going to repeat again. So they they seem like they're going to go and kill her. And Pam protests immediately. And as you said, Dr. Lee has no idea about whether or not there's a cure. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's a small town doctor. She does not do sequencing. She does not have any sort of lab that she can go through and be like mm-hmm, yeah just give me a second i'll come up with a vaccine here in yeah. bumfuck oregon yeah exactly sam 
appeals to the doctor. Is there any sort of treatment? Is there any sort of cure? And when the doctor hesitates, Dean cuts in, can you cure it? And she says, I don't even know what it is, let alone how to cure it. That's not how medicine works. And this is a virus. This is not an infection. This is not uh, some bacteria that you can... Penicillin away. Yeah, penicillin away. We... No, there's not a cure for it. It's brand new. Yeah. So, with no other plan, Sam and Dean lead the way with Sarge behind them towards this utility room that Beverly is locked in. Um, They open it up, and she is basically curled up in a corner, terrified, and saying that Sam is the infected one, not her. And she appeals to Mark, saying that she's known him his entire life. Like, they know each other. They're neighbors. Um, Don't you know me, basically? But Mm -hmm. Dean shoulders his way forward. He confirms with Sam that she's infected. And then the three shots we saw in the vision take place with Dean ventilating Beverly. Yes. Yeah. This sucks, but we've already talked about this. Yeah, we're just going to go kill Mrs. Tanner. Yep, BRB. No protest. Devil's trap. No holy water. No exorcism. Nope, we're just going to kill a human being with a disease. Mm hmm. Again, it's different. It's different in 2022. <laughs> it is now nighttime. And outside, the infected roam the streets, while inside, weapons are being readied. Pam accidentally drops a sample of the Tanner's blood, and she freaks out, scared that she got some on her. Sam murmurs that they need to get out and warn people, but Mark says that they are easy targets. And Sam you know, realizes that they're in a medical clinic surrounded by medical supplies, they should be able to make explosives to help their way out of here. Yeah, the conversation happening is, should we stay or should we go? What is the safest bet? Mm -hmm. We can't we can't stay because we're really, I mean, we're sitting ducks. The, they know we're here. They just don't seem to be doing anything about it. But that could change at any moment. And should we go? Well, we can't really go. We would just be putting ourselves out there even more than trying to barricade ourselves inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we get past the hordes and all this? Uh, and explosives? I mean... Nothing goes wrong with a bomb, right? <laughs> we don't have any bombs, but we can sure make some. Yep. Big, beautiful, and dumb. Mm-hmm. A man knocks on the clinic door, and Sarge lets him in. It is Dwayne Tanner, who Dean confirms with Sam is the young adult that Dean kills in Sam's vision. Sam and Dean stop Dwayne for inspection with Dr. Lee. And um, Dwayne gives a story, basically, that he found his neighbors were killed. He's been hiding in the woods the whole time. Dr. Lee notices a cut on his leg, and Dwayne explains it away, saying he has no idea 
how it happened, no idea why they're asking him all these questions. You know, what is going on? Why are you so freaked out? Yeah. Wait, what do you mean infected? What's going on? Yeah. So they're wondering whether Dwayne could be infected as well. And Dr. Lee, using her sample size of one patient, says that it takes about three hours for the virus to incubate in its host. And they won't be able to tell until then the, whether Dwayne's infected. Basically, they have to wait until he turns. Yeah, yeah. There's no way to know until after Dwayne, dramatic pause, turns. And Dean asks to speak with Sam privately. Yes. To say that, well, okay, we know what we have to do. And Sam says, no, actually, we don't. We should... Wait and see if Dwayne is actually infected while Dean is arguing, no, I don't think that we should because we're pretty dang sure that he is infected. His whole family was infected. He shows up unannounced, Mm -hmm. just out of the blue. He's got a cut. He's playing us, Sam. He's obviously infected. Dean's very genre savvy in the moment here. And maybe there's a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy happening where, okay, the vision had me doing it, so I must be justified in doing it. Yeah, I think there is. Dean says says himself, if I did it, then I must have had a good reason for doing it. And now he's thinking that the deed was done, so he, you know... Uh, I did I did the right thing. Yeah. And Dean is confident for this reason and he's unwilling to wait to confirm Dwayne is infected because it will put the others in danger in the process. And Sam seems affronted by this, but Dean just counters that it's a tough job and somebody has to do it. Sam counters the countering by saying it's mm-hmm. supposed to be tough. I mean, how else can they keep their consciences clean? And Dean just kind of cryptically says that it's too late for that. And Sam's left to ask what the hell happened to him. Yeah, yeah. Dean says, and I liked this dialogue Mm -hmm. as well. Dean says that it's a tough job, Sammy. We got to do what we have to do. It's not a direct quote, but that's the gist. Yeah. And then Sam says, it's supposed to be tough, but I don't see you struggling with it over much. Yes. You're talking about killing a potentially innocent man, the exact thing that you said that you would never do, and you don't seem to care. Yeah. Where is that struggle? Like, Sam relishes in the struggle and i think dean dean in this moment is probably really missing the clarity that comes with following orders Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you don't because we talked last episode how he is really struggling to separate his identity from his father's you know to become his own person to to live the life that he wants to live And I feel like in these moments where it's 
complicated or where the job is hard, there's maybe some solace to be taken that you were at least doing what your dad wanted you to do. And now Dean is in these moments where the job is no longer fulfilling or it is this extra burden on him that he didn't have when his dad was there. And he's trying to exist beneath its weight. But the way that he is doing that is by, like, putting his head down and trying to ignore those red alarm lights and the sirens that are flashing at him saying that this feels wrong. And in doing so, it makes the job that much harder. And he, he just, he can't have it be harder right now because the harder it gets, the more impossible it is to keep going. Yeah, yeah. I think that you are exactly right. And that's a very astute observation on how now Dean is in the unique position where he has to make the calls and he does not want that. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't want to make the calls. He, he doesn't want those shades of gray. He doesn't want Sam on his shoulder calling into question what was previously a simple matter you kill the bad thing and that is why dean that's one of the reasons why dean says that the job is harder he's tired and worn down and it's not all dad but uh, it's definitely not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. Like, the hard thing for Dean right now is he has to forge his own identity. It was mm-hmm. so tied up with John and what John's expectations were for him. And, you know, part of following someone in their footsteps is that person is forging the path. And you are, you know, if you're walking through two feet of snow, the person ahead of you is taking the brunt of path forging. You, as the person following, have a bit more easy route to follow because you can step where they have stepped. But now John isn't there. He's not the one striking the road for Dean to follow. And Dean's never really had to flex these muscles before. He's never had to experience what it was like outside of his father's influence or his the, the thumb that John had been resting on him. And Dean's kind of feeling like he's floundering. Like it sounds like he is not enjoying this because it's harder. Like... We're not just talking about the job. We're talking about life without your parent. When your parent is there, you at least have someone to fall back on. They, when Even when you don't know what to do, you kind of assume that your parent will know what to do. And mm-hmm. here, Dean just doesn't have that. And so he has to fall back on himself. And he just doesn't have those muscles. He hasn't had to flex in this way before and he's like wow my body's aching (laughs) I don't want to do this anymore yeah and I think that 
his default in he, you know, now he has to make those decisions. What decisions do we see him making? His default is what would John do? Yep. And he, we see him acting out these, what would John do? Black and white decisions. Yeah. He says here, I've got no choice. I'm going to go kill Dwayne. Yeah. And the audience and Sam are sitting on, uh, sitting opposite of that and saying, actually, there's tons of choices. You have choices. You don't have to kill the, the potentially innocent man before you even know what is going on for sure and your risk analysis here is coming off a a little merciless uh, for sam's taste yeah and by extension john (laughs) like Mm -hmm. sam's judgment is not just on Dean, but sort of on the way that John raised them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there, there is a ruthlessness to it, and I can totally see this as, again, the black and white, what would John do? And Jean just, Dean just wants to know what to do. Yeah. And he's just making these snap judgments and snap decisions, but it is not in the what would John do playbook to second guess yourself once yeah. you've picked a picked a path. Yeah. Stick and commit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the fact that Sam is sitting here saying that it's supposed to be tough. They're supposed to struggle with it. Dean just does not want that answer. And he's been having a tough time while Sam's been confronting him here. He's been trying to push past his brother, but he's finally had enough. He's saying you know, Sam's asking, what happened to you? You're not acting like yourself anymore. You're acting more like the infected, basically. Um, And Dean's just sick of Sam kind of picking away at this wound and physically blocking him. So he shoves Sam away and he locks the door behind him as he leaves. And Sam is calling through the little window as we see Dean ready his gun like what we had seen in the vision and Dean does approach Dwayne and Dwayne is sobbing and Dean is saying that he has no choice, but it's clear that Dean is struggling. And when push comes to shove, ultimately he cannot pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. We get, um, a tense moment of, Will he or won't he? We get a very sexy close-up of Dean's 1911 pistol. Yes, it's and like, we really need... We we have settled on the weapon. We have for a while. But we need <laughs> you to appreciate the engraving that went into this one. Yep. Yep. And ultimately, Do- Dean doesn't fulfill Sam's prophecy. He allows Dwayne to live 
for now. Yeah. And I hate even saying it. He allows Dwayne to live for now. Yeah. But that's that's what happens. That's what we see. We see our characters. We see our protagonists, the people that we want to see make good decisions. We see them acting in immoral ways. Yeah. Again, confronting humans and innocence at that in mm-hmm. ways that is really quite shocking and appalling for our protagonists in mm-hmm. season two. Yeah. 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 We cut to Sam and Dean in one of these medical rooms and they are silently building explosives together. Dr. Lee comes in to confirm that Dwayne is clear and he can be untied now. He's not infected. Um, Dean doesn't respond. Dean doesn't say anything. And so once they are alone, Sam asks why Dean didn't kill him. And Dean responds by changing subjects. Yeah. No response at all. Yeah, this is not a conversation he wants to have. I mean, what does he even say to that? Sam asks, why didn't you kill him? I mean, for the obvious reasons. Or, I don't know. I I didn't really understand the question. Because why Dean didn't kill him is the reason why he shouldn't have killed him because he didn't know for sure if Dwayne was infected or not and it was the wrong thing to do like for me it was just why didn't you kill him because it was the wrong thing to do and he and, and Dean had to come to terms with that fact and decide to do the right thing I mean, I wonder for Sam if this is another symptom of, like, him not really knowing his brother yet. He he has this image of Dean and who Dean is and how Dean acts. Like, again, last... And, and Dean plays into it for the most part. Mm-hmm. So if we think of Crossroad Blues when Dean's getting into the car after visiting the animal center, he's acting sleazy and saying, like, oh, I got this chick's number, blah, blah, blah. It it seems to be the way that Sam understands Dean. And so when they're confronting each other, just, you know, a scene ago, where Sam is like, you're supposed to struggle, you're supposed to have this hard time. Like, why aren't you having a hard time? It maybe isn't just Sam looking at Dean 100%, but like Sam's sense of justice and morality. He's... Mm-hmm reflecting on it more than he is on well what's my brother's sense of morality and justice and how has that changed so if that's the case then in this episode sam isn't thinking of his brother he's like what convinced you to go against that impulse you were going to follow does that make sense it kind of does, but I'm still I'm still wondering, like, what is the answer to that question? I know Dean doesn't answer, but what is the answer to that question? I mean, does Sam want to hear you convinced me otherwise? You know, like, I'm just, again, I'm yeah. wondering, because Sam is so young still, and he is still very Sam-centric. Yes. That I don't 
know if he's really thinking about Dean in this moment or what he saw Dean in a black and white manner. Like this Mm -hmm. is what Dean's going to do. And the fact that Dean didn't do it is a curiosity to him. Mm -hmm. Mm I don't know. I know. I agree. I agree. It feels very, I, I, I didn't like the question because it felt very either. And I told you so. Yeah. In so many words, or it felt overly personal, as as weird as that sounds. Yeah. Yeah, because if this is something that Dean is struggling with, then it is kind of private. You know, because Dean seems to have in this moment at least a little bit of shame response. He's not Uh acknowledging Lee when she comes in. He's not making eye contact or anything. So it's like he feels ashamed that he came so close to killing an innocent person. As he should. Yes, as he should. But then to have Sam be like, wow, so why did you change your mind from killing that innocent person? Like, obviously that's a very ungenerous thing to say, like, or uh, ungenerous towards Sam to treat, for us to discuss it like. But it is very like, wow, you seem to be struggling right now. Do you want to talk about it? It's like, well, let Dean come to you in your own time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's ungenerous at all. Here is Sam saying, so why didn't you kill the innocent man? (laughs) I mean, I don't know, Sam. (laughs) Why not? Didn't the question answer itself? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that overly personal is why it rubbed me the wrong way. Not because... Because Sam is always trying to get Dean to talk about what's up with him. Yeah. But why didn't you kill him is different from, so can we talk about what's up with you because you were about to do something horrible? Yeah, exactly. That's very different. Like, that's not a walk me through your thought process of this specific moment. It's more of a, how are you doing? What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Anyways. So, since Dean changes subjects, he's saying, you know, we're running low on alcohol. So Sam gets up to go to the dispensary and retrieve more. Um, But when he goes inside, Pam follows him. And she locks herself in the room with Sam. And then slow-mo attacks him. She cuts them both. She smears her blood into the wound she put onto Sam. And um, Dean is too late. He breaks in and shoots her, but this blood exchange has taken place. And Mark indeed holds Dean back from approaching Sam, pointing out how he's infected now. Yeah. 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 Pam says, I've been waiting for this the whole time. Yeah, and I'm like, you had to have had an easier moment. <laughs> and I I thought it was interesting more in that, not that we explore this in any way, but there's that hive mind that seems to be taking place where Pam, to say, I've been waiting to get you alone, 
uh, it seems targeted, and I think it is meant to be actually targeted towards Sam. Yes. Uh, and it's a little bit more like insight. The yeah the the zombies are communicating than just mindlessly spreading the disease. Or like they came in with a plan. Yeah. Different motivations yes. than just the primary directive of spread the yeah, disease. Exactly. It's not the baseless instincts or whatever. Baser mm-hmm, instincts, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Baser instincts because unlike zombies, what makes the Crotoan um a scarier thing like the thing or alien is that you 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 can't tell who is sincere and who is just playing the part mm-hmm. they are cognizant of what's happening and they are able to play you yes when and tr- and trick you and you can't tell who to trust and who not yeah like they're not coming from a place of innocence where they don't know they're infected they mm-hmm. they do know and they're lying and manipulating to you which is almost worse yeah mhm mhm so sam is not having a good time um Dean asks Dr. Lee to check him again, check his wound. Mark and Dwayne do not want to risk it for the biscuit. They want to just kill Sam. While Dean argues that they don't know for sure that he was infected or that he'll turn. Dwayne points out that Dean was going to shoot him for the exact same logic. And Dean says, if you don't shut your pie hole, I still might. Yeah. A very Dean. Yeah. there <laughs> and sam interrupts to say that you know mark and Dwayne are right and he's willing to shoot himself before he becomes one of these mindless things or infected yeah and dean is trying to ward off uh, Dwayne and mark and also appeal to Sam, like, no, I'm not giving you your gun so that you can just give up and shoot yourself. We still have time. But Mark interrupts, time for what? I'm sorry. I know he's your brother. I I, I really am sorry. But we know what we have to do. And then when Mark draws on that, we know what we have to do. I'll take care of this. I'm not going to make you kill your brother. Uh, don't worry. I'll take care yeah. of it for you. Dean also draws on Mark and demands that he put the gun down. And if you make a move on my brother, then you're, you know, you're, you'll be dead before you hit the floor. Yeah. And this is the moment, all, all this back and forth, Sam then butts in, Dean, no, they're right. Just leave me to die. <laughs> This is this is where I wrote my notes. Poor Dr. Lee. There's a lot of testosterone yep. in this room. Yep. She's like, Pam, why'd you have to be evil? <laughs> why'd you have to be evil, Pam? Come on. I mean, now I'm all alone. No. So Sarge is like, well, if you're not going to kill him, if what are we supposed to do? 
And Dean responds by tossing Mark his keys and telling him to get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Take Dwayne, Dr. Lee, the three of you go. And... Well. And what? Yeah. If, if, if they go, then what about you, Dean? Dean is determined to stay with Sam through to the end. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how Sam is telling him to go, Dean remains. Mark takes... Mark even is like, yeah, the dead guy has a point. <laughs> yeah. You you don't have to stay. Don't do this. Come with us. Mm-hmm. What's the point of you staying and dying? Yeah. But... Dean just says, I'm not leaving my brother and Mark. I don't know. Dean and Mark share a look and it is just understood that Dean is not going to be budging on this. Yeah, he's resolved. Yeah. So the men leave, but before Dr. Lee goes, she thanks both Sam and Dean. Dean locks him and Sam inside this room alone and he makes a bad joke about needing basically a board game to pass the time. But Sam is very serious and he tells Dean not to do this. Give him his gun and leave. And Dean, again, refuses. And it's for the last time. Sam gets angry at this and calls it the dumbest thing Dean's ever done. And Dean, again, jokes back. And Sam is very tearful as he says it's over for him, but it doesn't have to be over for Dean. He could keep going. And Dean responds... Who says, I want to. I'm tired, Sam. I'm tired of this job, this life, this weight on my shoulders. Man, I'm tired of it. And Sam is asking if this means that Dean's just going to lay down and die. I know the stuff with Dad had... But Dean cuts him off and says, you're wrong. It's not about Dad. I mean, part of it is, sure. But Sam asks what it is about then. I mean, this whole conversation... Dean is resolved to stay with Sam, but Sam is, you know, yeah. Are you just going to lay down and die? What do you mean you're tired of the job? You, that's not all there is. That isn't, you, you shouldn't give up and die for it it's it's the end of my road but it doesn't have to be the end of your road and dean just doesn't see a path forward the end of your road is the end of my road period well and it's i think a bit about i mean using some future vision and some retro vision dean promised his dad that if sam were to go bad he would kill him And so since that promise was made, Dean has probably been vigilant. You know, he's been holding up the scorecard and being like, is Sam good? Is he bad yet? What am I supposed to do? And this constant vigilance is just wearing him down. He's like, I'm tired. I I don't want to do this anymore. And like upholding that vow is really getting him down. So if... He's here, and Sam's going to die. Like, basically, Dean's watch is over. 
he doesn't have to do that vigilance anymore. But it's like, my God, he spent all of that time and energy and it got him here. Like, he's going to outlive his brother. And that fucking sucks for Dean because that's not how he wanted to spend the last of his time with them together. But again, where in all of that does I want to die come in? Because we're not talking about Dean. I don't know. We make the conversation like Dean's tired of the job. We make the conversation. We can extrapolate this conversation that this weight on his shoulders is that John's final words to Dean and this constant vigilance, um, Dean needing to believe that Sam is not evil and he's not going to break bad, but constantly worrying that he will and that he will have to kill his brother. But like Dean wants to die here. He wants to yeah. die with his brother. And, and that is something that unfortunately becomes very familiar with Dean uh, as we go with him through the years. He has, um, yeah, Dean and suicidal ideation go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that we're. I don't know. Can can I say, I don't know if it's fair to say that it's the first time that we've seen it from Dean, but this is the first time that it's so explicitly stated. Yeah, that we're seeing him with a choice and he's choosing to go the destructive path. And I, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, where Dean has to strike it out on his own now. Like, he can't just do what dad's doing. He has to find his own identity. And the thought that, okay, John's dead. Here, Sam is dying in front of him. If Sam's dead too, Dean's like, I don't have it in me to forge that path. I don't, Mm -hmm. I need, I need that. I need something to lean on. I need something that I can rely on. Something that can be the foundation. And if all of that's gone, I don't want to build it up from scratch. Yeah, I think that's definitely all correct, and that's why he feels like he can't go forward. But for Dean to be making the choice that he's going to die with Sam, I wish it got more attention, especially leading up to what happens in the finale. Mm -hmm. Because Sam basically is like, so what's all of that? What's all of that about? You're tired of the job? We're not talking about the job. They make it about the job, but we're not talking about the job. We're talking about Dean's life and how he's not willing to live without Sam. Yeah. That he doesn't see value, intrinsic value in himself. He sees himself as a tool for his father. Well, now his father's hands aren't guiding him. He sees himself as his brother's keeper, you know, the the raiser and protector of Sam. Well, if Sam's not there, then that part of his identity is gone too. So Dean's really left with the question of who am I? Left Mm -hmm. explicitly and he can't face it. He just doesn't have the ability to confront that yet. And so 
I think for him it might be easier to go out as Sam's protector. You know, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, even if that means to the grave. Yeah. I think this is a big moment and super interesting to see Dean in this moment because Supernatural is a tragedy and we have all the indicators that this tragedy will occur and then and it didn't have we to be. just have to yeah it didn't have to it didn't have to be on so many levels it didn't have to be yes and it didn't have to be i feel like i'm spinning my wheels a little bit it's hard to talk about or at least just here in the moment i don't have the words to talk about it but i see the train coming and i want to push dean out of the path but that is one of the reasons why supernatural is the show that it is because it it's not a comedy it's tragedy but we see all this building up to us to a point and this is one of the big moments where you're you can point back to it and be like well yeah it, it th- this could have been a turning point but turned into instead just something that we could look back on and be like well what it could have showed we saw it yeah we saw it coming so what happened yeah i don't like thinking of it as a tragedy (laughs) what is supernatural but a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's the meta layers. Like, I don't think we have the time or the ability to get into it right now, but the writers deciding that the show ends tragically, you know, that mm-hmm. this is the story that these characters follow, and then the characters are helpless but to follow it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's why it's a tragedy, because you see the characters just waving at these moments as they pass by. Yeah. And you're just like, it's right there. It's right there. Yeah, you just want the writers to capitalize on it and they don't. Yeah. But on a meta level, that's the intent. I don't know, Remy. That sometimes is giving too much credence because, again, one of the frustrating things about Supernatural is that there's so many people, there's so many voices in the writing room. And they're all Mm -hmm. coming in with their own bend. And so it's really difficult to say that we get to this ending with intention. You know, it's more like along the way we are going and seeing all of these many beautiful sights. But when they say that this is the final episode, this is what you get, you don't have 15 years of writers talking about how it should end you have only a small group of people or down to like two people who get to decide so it's really hard to be like they got to this ending with intention because ultimately this is like a woven rope you know we're braiding something 
And it just happens to be the person who ties the knot that decides that it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I could, I could keep it, I narrow the scope a little bit, not talk about the series finale 15 years down the line, mm-hmm. but what are we building up to in this season, in the next season, in the next three seasons? We, at least for the end of this season, we're building up to a certain point, which is Dean's sacrifice. And that becomes the name of the game. Yeah, that's fair. Like, just looking ahead to the end of season two and being like, oh, buddy, if only you had some more self-esteem and self-worth. There's so much that, so much suffering you could avoid. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So this is a very alarming um, sequence of events that's going down. Yeah. But I, it's odd. I, odd is maybe not the right word, but we're just along for the ride, and we see this happening. We're like, oh, boy, yeah, oh boy. Yeah. And this is season two, Supernatural. So we're just, I don't know. Again, I don't have the, I don't have <laughs> the spoons yeah. for it right now. I get you, but. On a meta level, there are many deep-rooted issues that are coming out here that are in no way being addressed. hmm Yeah. And indeed are going to be extrapolated into later episodes, like you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when Sam asks, what is it about really then, um, Dean's not able to answer. There's an interruption. A door opens and footsteps approach, and Dr. Lee tells Sam and Dean to come and see something. And indeed, outside on the streets, the town is silent. All the infected have vanished, and they are the last five people left. Yeah. We go to the next scene, which is Dr. Lee hearing Sam of infection, saying that his blood is clean, and Sam just does not understand how. He was exposed after all, Um, but she doesn't have any answers for that. And even more so, um, Dr. Lee has looked at the Tanner samples and was shocked to find them clear of sulfur. It's like the virus itself vanished. Yeah, not only is Sam clean of of the virus, the Tanner blood also has left no trace of the virus, so... It's almost like, like you said, when the infected disappeared, the virus itself vanished as well. Yeah. Um, We go to the morning now. Uh, Mark and Dwayne are packing up a truck and they are heading southbound. They ask Dr. Lee to come with, but she plans to go to the next town over and get the authorities to come back here. And, you know, if they even believe me, it's the type of attitude she's going into this with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No trace left behind, as we hear in a couple of minutes. But it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. Dean here is like, 
man, I'm going to lose sleep over this one. I feel like this is the one that got away. Why here? Why now? Sam, why were you immune? Yeah. Uh, I'm like, hello, a thousand people just died. Yeah. Or vanished. Like, this uh, should be a mystery appearing on international news. Yeah. And beyond that, Dean, I feel like you should be a bit more, and Sam, you should be a bit more concerned or torn up over the fact the one that got away, like, a thousand people just died and you were in the thick of it. And you're just like, "Eh, oh, well. Yeah, this sure stumped me. Yeah, yeah, couldn't unmask the villain on this one. Like, this is where I get frustrated with the episode, is there's all of these huge implications, these huge questions, and our characters do not get answers. They do not get catharsis. And it just makes me wonder if there was anything that could be done about it, or if it's just inherent in the way that the story is needing to be told. Because we, the audience, we get an answer after this. You know, we have a scene that follows where Mark pulls over at Dwayne's request and Dwayne ends up slashing his throat and collecting the blood in a chalice, similar to what we've seen Meg do. And he does this blood phone call to say, it's over. You'll be pleased. I don't think any more tests are necessary. And indeed, that Sam was immune to the disease as anticipated. Yeah, as expected. Yeah, so this is what is given to the audience, but our characters, you know, the surrogates for us in the story, they have no clue and they're not going to find out. It just is going to be like, well, shucks. And like Dean says, keep them up at night. I wanted more struggle. I'm okay with them not finding an an answer. I'm okay with them losing sleep at night over this. But I wanted it to be heavier than this. Like, there's so much rushing, it feels, that happens. Sam gets infected immediately everyone leaves Sam and Dean have a conversation and then it's like everything's fine right after that it's like there was room to languish in there like there was room to really revel in what the tropes give you and instead we go to oh everything seems to be fine and then oh it looks like Sam is fine and then what happened I guess we'll never know yeah. And this is like three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like it is Speedy Gonzales. It really is. It is this huge loss of life and there are huge implications of this thing that happened to this town, an entire population. Mm-hmm. And they... Drive off into the sunrise and drink beers. Yeah, yeah. They drive off into the sunrise and drink beers. They could have done the whole rest of the season off of this. Yeah. No, we're just going to go find the next ghost. Yeah. Not try to figure out what happened to an entire town of people. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, like, again, that's where I'm like, this episode, oh, I just need a little bit of icing. I just need a little bit of sprinkles. I need a little bit more to make me say I love it. Uh I really like it. I think that it is really good, but we've covered at length sort of the shortcomings, I feel like, is in it, and the ending, and the way we just kind of wipe our hands of it and move on is one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I definitely feel like the last 15 minutes are very, very weak compared to the first half yes. of the episode. Yeah, I'm with you there. So yeah, Sam and Dean drove off into the sunrise. They are parked riverside drinking. And Sam takes the opportunity to ask what Dean was talking about when he said he was tired of the job and not just because of John. Dean says to forget it, but Sam presses. And Dean, again, tries to change the subject by saying that they should go to the Grand Canyon or to Hollywood. You know, take a break from it all. Why can't they live their life and forget their responsibilities for a while? Yeah, why do we have to have all the responsibility? But Sam just keeps poking, and he's trying to assure Dean that whatever he's carrying, they can shoulder it together. And Dean breaks a little bit. He says he can't tell Sam. He promised Dad. Right before he died, he told Dean something about Sam. And Sam asks, what? What did he tell you? And we zoom in and end on Dean's face as he is unable to answer. Yeah. Two very dramatic close-ups. Yeah. On Sam and then Dean. And that's the episode we wrap there without hearing yet what Dean has to say about what John had to say. Yeah. And, like, it's wild to me that... Sam is here. He just heard his brother being like, I'm tired of the job. Like, basically, I'm tired of life. The night before. And now his brother's like, you know, can we take a break? Can we, like, go to Hollywood and try and sleep with Lindsay Lohan? And Sam is like, no, talk to me about our responsibilities. It's like, dude, I thought that you recognized that. Dean's in a real bad way and, like, maybe needs that assurance that, yes, he can take a break. Yes, he can put that burden down for a bit. Why do you have to push him up to the edge in this moment? Exactly. Exactly. Talk about those opportunities. Waving at the opportunities as they pass us by. I I just could not believe it, it it's so shallow. It's so well. It forced that we have Sam here asking Dean, "What do you, What do you mean you're tired with the job? What's up with that? Wait, you want to take a break, a vacation? Where's this coming from? What's up with yeah. you? Like what, yeah. Sam? Yeah, like it it puts Sam in such a negative light because. It makes Sam, again, very Sam-centric. It's like he wasn't registering how badly Dean was struggling. 
but he registers it enough to bring it up later. And then Dean mentions, you know, dad said something about you and Sam's like, let's push, you know, something about me. I need to know. And like whether Dean is ready or not, Sam is. And that's the most important thing to Sam in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to know what's bothering Dean more than he wants to help solve what's bothering Dean. Or, like, yeah. help Dean, period. Yeah. Yeah. He wants the knowledge more than he wants to give comfort. And I'd be interested to see where we go picking up from this moment. Because I'm pretty sure that Sam just takes off. Yep. <laughs> yep yep takes off uses a fake name goes tries to chase down another special child and uh-huh. i'm like you leave dean in this condition like dean's mental state is not great and has not been great like the recap itself told us he's erratic and getting volatile and then you're like well this upsets me <laughs> goodbye exactly Oh, that makes me salty right at the last minute. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, look. But, again, it's this forced misrepresentation of the characters because that's what the narrative demands Mm -hmm. of them. It's similar here, I feel, for Sam as what we were seeing with the whole I have no choice situation with Dean. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a little bit like Sam is still he acts very young. He acts very self-centered. So I'm like, oh, it does feel a little in character. But what what troubles is the flip between what do you mean you want to quit to like, oh, here you are telling me like you need a break from responsibilities and I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I think that certain parts of this, I think that Sam kind of pushing Dean to the breaking point and keying in on, wait, dad says something about me. What do you mean? What? Tell me that, that makes sense for Sam Mm -hmm. where he, he, he is now a dog with a bone to chew. He has keyed in on something else and has completely dropped the thing that he was originally pursuing which was trying to help dean the thing that wasn't in character for me is the the whole uh, the whole the the initial direction of the conversation which was what do you mean you're um you, you want to take a break from the job. What what was all that about? You were going to... I mean, he doesn't even say, like, you were going to die for me. He just says, like, oh, you said you were tired of the job? Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not... That is not the... <laughs> that's not the real issue here. Uh, but that's the one that we decided to go with. Now, it would have been even more dramatic if the thing that Sam was pressing in on prying mm-hmm. with Dean on was so what made it okay what's up with you where you were going to sacrifice yourself just to yeah um stay with me like that's not okay yeah were you really willing to die 
with right. me instead of wow do you not like the job if they if they had focused more on dean's uh disregard for his own life instead yeah. of what he was saying about how he's tired of the job then sam it, dropped it like a hot potato to be like wait what do you mean wait what do you mean D- dad had something to say about me what's the- what no tell me what i feel like that would almost be worse because you have like hey dean are you suicidal and then oh wait this is about me no it is worse but if that's and i think that that's not the point that the writers were trying to make it is worse but it would be more dramatic is okay. all i'm saying okay i gotcha 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 yeah, I don't think the the writers are necessarily trying to paint any characters in a negative light right now. It's no. just the implications behind Sam honing in on details about him are supposed to be positive because as our main character of the two main characters, we're supposed to be most invested in the mystery around Sam. But as Dean girls with chronic SBN brain rot, I shouldn't say we're Dean girls, but like we have favoritism and I feel like it's obvious. It becomes an unfortunate side effect of that, that Dean's suffering just gets ignored and he has to become a vessel for information that Sam wants. Yeah. Yeah. And Dean girl or not, it's not like, I'm not saying that Sam is acting in this way because I don't like Sam. I'm saying that Sam is acting in this way or I'm positing that uh, this is Sam's characterization because that's the interesting thing to do. It, it, it It's more interesting that Sam is this young, flawed, self-centered character mm-hmm. that doesn't really understand that Dean is his own person and not just the 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 father figure mm-hmm. that Dean that Sam doesn't understand as a human as a human and at a yeah at a meta level um that is to see Sam acting in that way or, or to 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 I shouldn't even say cast Sam in that negative light because it's not necessarily casting Sam in that negative no, light it's not intended it is, as negative it's all no. interpretation. Right. It's definitely not intended from the writers as negative, but the it's an interesting interpretation of his characterization to see the flaws in his in his character. I feel like that's generous for me. Like I think, again, this scene is meant to be a teaser for the next episode to get you to tune in. And they just wrote what they needed to get us there. Well, yeah. Okay. We'll leave it there. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just... There's the eternal question of what was intended and what was just done because they had one page left in the script that they needed to bridge to next week. Like, we we can tie ourselves up in knots going that way. And, I mean, the show is here so that we can chase those leads, but the danger becomes, you know, are we giving too much credit sometimes? 
No, I don't think that I'm giving them, I'm not giving the writers any credit on that. It's the, the, the core of it is, the question is, what is the audience taking away from it? The writers just have one page, they just want a teaser. But what does the audience yeah. see? The audience sees Dean struggling and then Sam being about Sam. Yeah. And we take that and we carry it through to through the rest of the season the uh, we carry it through through the next episode and we and, and and those moments leave an impression on the audience that is not charitable yeah. to Sam we're left symp- we're left sympathizing with Dean even though at for, for certain moments like in this moment we're left sympathizing for Dean in earlier moments in the episode Dean was being a, an A class a hole yeah so that is what I mean by it's interesting to analyze the different levels of not only what was intended by the authors, but what the audience is going to be taking away from scenes like that. Yeah, yeah, I can get behind that. But I digress. But we're at the end. This is the cliffhanger ending that they left us with. Yeah, we don't hear what those words were from John just yet. Nope. They're gonna string us along for another month. (laughs) Oh my god. One sole lone episode in in the middle of a two month hiatus. Yeah. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah. What was the thought process? What happened? Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Remy, what is your mm-hmm. final takeaway? Oh, boy. Well, we just spent two and a half hours bashing the episode, didn't we? It's not bashing! <laughs> we love the trope so damn much that we actually are, like, mildly informed for once. And uh-huh. extremely invested. Which leads to um, deep, complicated conversations. Like, my final takeaway... I love the trope. I love that they made a big swing to include it in the show. Because if you're talking about horror genres and Supernatural is cribbing from all of these different niches of Mm -hmm. horror, I'm so glad to see the bottle episode, the body snatcher, the which one of us can we trust in the series. I'm very glad that they did that. My only wish was we had more time to explore it at the level that me, an obsessive for this type of show, would truly just watch these two episodes over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There's no hate. It's just genuinely that nice edge of I love it so damn much (laughs) and I want it to be more. Yeah. I love it so damn much, so I want it to be good. Yeah. I want it to be perfect. Yeah. Um, my takeaway, because I do, I love this episode. My takeaway is my unpopular opinion that this episode, Crotoan, is a better episode of TV than... I'm like, I'm so insane that you're dropping this <laughs> at the end of the episode. We do not have time to talk about this, but... Season 5, episode 3, Crotoan. 4. <laughs> episode 4. 
episode four. Always one up. <laughs> I think I said, I think I just called it Croto and it's the end. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even catch that part. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> episode four of season Ew. five. The end. <laughs> Which is Croto and 2.0. Mm. It's the same. Uh, Remy, uh, in 60 years, when we get to analyze this episode. <laughs> Everyone loves the end because Cass and pink panties and Lucifer in a white suit. La dee da. Well, guess what? I like Crone Tone better. I think it did it better because. I cannot believe you're coming in off so hot right at the end here. The because the end asks the same questions that Croatoan does with Dean's morality and no. suicidal tendencies and inability to live without Sam. Wrong. And it just takes Croatoan and puts it five years in the future and it says. This is how the world ends, and this is how Dean Winchester will exist in a world where the like Crotone is episode one, and then the end is season three of The Walking Dead Crotone verse. And I'm just like, I'm not interested at all in what the end shows me because mm. it's the same Remy? thing. Remy? As what Crot- Remy? We're at the end of the episode. We cannot analyze another episode on top of this. I'm not. I'm just saying. I like Crotone better. You don't have to say anything in response to that. But you oh, I bet you'd love it. that, wouldn't you? You just have to sit with it. You're wrong. That's all I'll say. <laughs> really? I mean, it's more complicated than that is the true answer. It's just Dean with a thigh holster. But come on, are you telling me that's not worth any points? Is that not sticking the triple axle? <laughs> he just It's the same Dean that no, I'm seeing in Remy, this episode here. I am I'm pulling a veto. I'm pulling a veto. <laughs> we cannot. No more. <laughs> <laughs> I like Crotone better. Okay. You're welcome too. I'm wrong, but... No, I mean, it's more complicated. I shouldn't have said you're wrong. I'm just... I, I hear what you're saying. I think it gets a lot more complicated. You're you're allowed. You're allowed to say I'm wrong. Oh, well, thank you. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that was season two, episode nine, <laughs> Croatoan. You guys still here? You made it? You guys are going to hate me. They hate me. They all hate no, me. No, why hear, would they hate you? I can hear the boos from a week and hundreds of miles away. Here, I'll add my own hot take. I don't like the fan fiction episode. Ooh. Yeah. I'll just toss Ouch. that one in there. <laughs> Throwing a stake after you through a whole, I don't know, cadaver. <laughs> I'm like, please pay attention to this instead. Goodbye. <laughs> I just like this episode. I mean, it's a good episode. I like this episode too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are we talking about next week? Yeah, next week is season two, episode 10, Hunted.
Or hunted, if you prefer. That's what you said. Hunted! 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 Okay! Can you tell we're tired? (laughs) No. 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 We're fine. In fact, thank you guys for listening. We know this was a long one, but it is well worth it, we feel. And we hope you agree. If you would be so kind as to leave a review on whatever service you are using to listen to our podcast, that would be incredibly appreciated. It helps us get an audience. We're really small. We're doing this as a labor of love. And we do really appreciate having you listeners with us. Yes. Yes. Every listener counts. And we love to get out there and have these chats with you. I haven't even looked at the time, B. What are you talking about? This one flew. It flew. Everyone's just so happy to be here. I mean, I am, but I can tell physically something's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we will see you guys next week. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.